Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Hollidaysburg area, or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. So if you don't know me, my name is Scott. I am one of the teachers here in Gospel Root. And per usual, before this week, I come down with some kind of flu for four days and uh, am still trying to get over it. So excuse my somewhat uh, less than yippee demeanor. What? My, stop. So, so this is Gospel Roots, where we believe the gospel root grows from gospel fruit. We've been in this discipleship conversation, growing one another, as we're calling it. Uh, this is week four of that series, uh, week four of teaching anyways. And so today, as Adam kindly left off last week, that I am the one that gets to teach about the enemy of discipleship. And so... What we've been kind of discussing over these past weeks is what, what it is to disciple, what it would look like, and how that flows from what we, who we are as people. We've said that simply put, discipleship means that we are growing as followers of Jesus and helping others to do the same. So there's two sides of it. It's, it's like a chain link. You have the one side where we are pouring into other people. We are helping them to follow Jesus. And on the backside of that chain link, holding it together, are people that are pouring into us and helping us to follow Jesus better. This isn't a, you're saved and now you go off and you're on your own. This is a, we are saved into the church. And then as a church body, as God's people, we then go and we disciple, we make disciples. So this should be a strong desire that Christians have. I know uh, now 10 years ago, whenever I was saved, this was something that was very, I was very passionate about. I wanted to go out and I wanted to share the gospel. I was the first member of my family to come to faith. And I wanted to share this with my parents, my siblings, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins. But that desire faded. But why? Why do those desires you know, last week Adam played a video that showed just how quickly the gospel would saturate the entire globe if each one of us would make just one disciple a year. And that was a pretty eye-opening video. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to see it, let us know and we'll, we'll make sure that you can watch it. But essentially, it was something to the effect of, in 34 years, the world would be reached. I'm 34 years old, in my lifetime, the world would have already been reached. That's the right way to say that. But we know that's not happening. There is a force, there is an enemy that is combating us each and every step of the way. But what could this enemy possibly be? What could draw us away from the command, 
Remember, this is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's not a, if you have a little bit of extra time on Friday afternoon because you get all your work done. It is a command that Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, King of the universe, creator of all things, has given us. And yet, we willfully reject it. What's stopping husbands from discipling their wives? Friends discipling friends, parents and their children, siblings and siblings, co-workers from co-workers, neighbors from neighbors. You get the point. Here's some that I came up with. I don't have enough time. Westerners, especially Americans, are busier now than we've ever been. We're more distracted now than we've ever been. Is it that we don't feel equipped? Have you read the headlines? People are screwed up. Shouldn't we leave that to the pastors to do? They're the ones that should be going out and discipling people. Is it that other people just don't want to be discipled? I could try, but they don't want it. So, so why waste my time with them? They're too addicted to their phone to even look up and have a conversation. Or is it that it just gets hard and messy and that could threaten a relationship that we have and that's just not an area that we really want to jeopardize? Today, as we're going to look at the enemy of discipleship, I want us to look at three main points. We're going to look at the root in discipleship, the root problem in discipleship. Then we're going to look at how we're going to consider how this still affects us today. And then we're going to wrap up with, is biblical discipleship actually possible? And I use those words, actually possible, for a reason. So to look at the root of discipleship, I'd like you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles with you, to Genesis chapter 3. I will have it up on the screen uh, if you don't have your scriptures with you. But Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read just a portion of this text. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, so it may be slightly different from the version that you have. Let's read. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the uh, fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you, sh you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to 
the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. What is the root problem of discipleship? Our sin. The sin that is in me, the sin that is in you, the sin that is in others outside and in our world is what causes us to not lovingly disciple other people. Sin is the root of discipleship. Which brings us to our main idea for this morning. And that is, the sin that still dwells within us and within others opposes our discipleship every step of the way. But by God's grace, we can overcome it. Now, this is my opinion, and I want to be sure that I separate my opinion from Scripture. But I sometimes believe that we as Christians, we as Christians in the United States, will often forget that there is spiritual warfare happening all around us. We know that bad things happen. We know that things don't go the way we want. We know that there are bad people. We know that people make mistakes and they make bad choices. But so often we internalize and we personalize those things and we say, this happened, this is how I'm going to fix it. That happened, that's how they should fix it. And pretty soon what happens is we make it very one-two, very black and white, this and then this. And then we can easily get sucked into What do I need to do? It becomes more about me and my mission and my preference than what the Spirit is doing, what the Spirit might be convicting us of. So when our desires cloud that and we are focused more inward, that is sin that is creeping into our daily lives and holding us back from properly discipling. So what was the original sin in the garden? Was it the fact that Adam and Eve ate of the tree? Let's look back at chapter three, verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. By the time Eve actually took the bite of the fruit, the sin had already been committed. Her desire was the sin. How? How was that a sin? She desired more than what God had commanded her. God had said, here is what you can eat from. Here is what you cannot eat from. That desire that burned in her for that, 
that desire to be like God, to know like God, became more than the desire to obey God. You could think of it as she felt God was holding out. If I have the ability to know and to be like God just by eating of this fruit, surely God would want that for me. How did she come to that conclusion? What did the serpent say? Did God actually say that? Eve's desire to be wise was more than her desire to obey. When we desire anything more than God, we are in sin. Sin is the root problem of discipleship, and the enemy knows that. That's why the enemy is committed and prowling and waiting to wage war for our hearts. Though we have been saved, the war wages on. There is still a desire for the enemy to hold back what God has done, to continue to blind us to that change that has happened in our hearts. Doesn't mean, the pro- doesn't mean that we don't become saved. It just means that we become blinded to it and repentance is needed. But how does that affect us today? That happened in the garden. Scripture tells us time and time again that we are all sinners. That wasn't an isolated event. It's not Adam and Eve sinned and now all of us are fine. We are all born with sin. One of the most famous verses, we could all say it together, everyone together, Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And we can say that and we can just say, yeah, well, we're all sinners. So, yeah, I'm going to mess up. That's not what we have believers have been called to do. We're sinners through and through, and because of the fall, until Christ comes again, we will continue to sin. Bless you. I love back up in, in Romans 3, if you go back up uh, into the early part of that chapter, he's actually, Paul's actually quoting Jeremiah 17, 9, which reads, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. In order for us to combat the enemy of discipleship, we have to understand the enemy. We have to understand what we're actually fighting against. And scripture says we are not fighting a a battle of flesh and bone. We are fighting a spiritual battle. And I think when we only look at it as as our actions, we lose sight of that spiritual battle. Our hearts are corrupted. And not even just corrupted. If you look at Ephesians, two, uh, if you look at uh, the the book of Ephesians, Paul actually tells us that we're dead. Our sin has killed us. Sin causes us to die. That's how much sin has affected this world. The entire world has fallen. All that is in it is fallen. And that's why discipleship is hard. That's why it can strain our relationships. That's why we look for ways out of it. Or we look to keep it surface level. We keep it to the easy stuff. We don't want to get to the heart level stuff. Or as I've been guilty of, I just completely ignore it. Pretend like it's not there. Someone else can pick it up. I'm sure that they have people that are pouring into them. I don't, I, I don't need to. So remember I asked earlier, what is actually stopping us from discipling? 
time, ability, the fact that it's hard. We've talked about fruit and root issues. All of the excuses, time, ability, it's hard, those are the fruits. Those all are coming from the root that we are in sin. We're not believing a truth about God. And when we believe a lie about God, it flows out into our daily actions, into our daily thoughts. It allows us to look at someone and say, they're not worth discipling. That's sin in us talking. That's not the spirit. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let's look at Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul gives some of his personal experience with this. And I, I relate to Paul in this, in this passage. Um, in verses 1 through 12 in, in Romans 7, Paul's telling us uh, that even though God's law is good, it brings death to sinful people because it provokes our sinful desires. And then he switches into 13 to 25, and he tells us that though we've been redeemed of our sin, and it no longer has dominion over us, it still dwells in us, and the enemy is still using sin to thwart our efforts to grow in Christ. So here we go. Verse, uh, seven, chapter 7, verse 14. And it's a tongue twister, so bear with me here. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do everything I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do what I, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members among but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Does that resonate with anyone? Has anyone ever felt like no matter where you turn, you're getting a right hook? That's a left hook. You have every intention to do one thing and then another thing happens. You have every intention to confront someone on a sin that's happening and then you're like, they're going to get mad. You have, a, you have a concern for a friend and you know you need to poke a little bit to open them up and then you say, man, that could ruin our friendship. When we begin thinking about how they're going to respond and that begins to threaten our motive, that's the enemy at work. You mean to follow up with someone by text only to pick up your phone and death scroll for an hour and then forget why you picked up your phone? You wanted to pray with someone because you know they're struggling 
but was worried what the people around you might think? Feel a lack of desire to do anything. You begin to say, who am I? How can I help someone? They're going through this. I've never gone through that. What could I possibly give them that would encourage them? I don't know about you, but I feel like that every day. That is the battle that we are going through every single day. So what does this passage teach us about sin? How does sin affect us? You can just shout out some answers. I'm sorry. Paralyzes you. Yeah. Sin can definitely have that effect. It can paralyze you. Matt. Yeah, the, the battle is going to be there always. It's not a sometimes. The battle's always there. What else? Also, not that it's just not going to be there, but it's Paul we're talking about where he's saying, I literally do the things that I don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's persuasive. Tyler. I think the, the link between this and Genesis 3 is, you know, the things that we ought to do that we don't do or the things that we ought not to do that we do, it all kind of just boils down to that original sin of not necessarily the action, but the believing in the lie. You know, that was the first thing. So if we believe in the lie that we... Like you said, we we need to pray with somebody, but we're too worried about X, Y, Z, and we're too worried about how they're going to react or how other people are going to see it or whatever. You know, if we start to believe those lies, then, then we don't do it, or we do something that we shouldn't because we start to believe those lies. And, you know, that was, that was the whole thing with Eve. You know? mm. It wasn't necessarily the action that was her sin. It was believing in the lie that, you know, Satan told her she didn't have what God already told her she did, which was, you know, a perfect life in the garden. Yeah. Okay. I think also, like, Eve did not take the, a minute to fact check against who she really got to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like serpents in the garden, the sin that is very aggressive, very pervasive in our world, doesn't always come in thundering and booming. It comes in very sweetly, very quiet, very charming. And unless we are, I heard you, Tyler. Unless we are consistently um, choosing to fact check against the scriptures and against the Lord's prodding, then we are at risk of, as Paul was saying, having our bodies, having our minds, having our everything overpowered by our sin 
No, and if the if the root is that we aren't choosing to seek the Lord and fact check against his word, I mean that's that's the root and we're gonna have that fruit of um, sin uh, being expressed in mm-hmm. different ways. Sin causes havoc. And when you try to blanket sin, when you try to hide sin, it reaches deeper into our daily, which is going to begin to fracture not just that area of life, it's going to begin to fracture other areas of life. The goal of discipleship is to drag that sin out into the light so that the Spirit can kill it. When we don't have that attitude, when we don't think we have to kill our sin, that's a problem. So here's a question. We're no good people. Is biblical discipleship actually possible? Yeah, it is. Yay. Not because of us, but because of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that enables us to overcome. Remember how the serpent used those half-truths to, to lead Adam and Eve into sin? He does the same with us. You know, as we heard here, it is so easy just to buy into that. We easily find those reasons. But Paul gives us some good news. Continuing in chapter 7, Verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I will serve the law of sin. How is biblical discipleship possible if we are broken, sinful people? Through Jesus. By God's grace, we are able to overcome those sinful desires. Through the work of the Spirit, we can speak into others so that the Spirit can work in their hearts to overcome sinful desires. People can speak into our lives to help us overcome sinful desires. Paul even expands in chapter 8. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul tells us that with the help of the spirit that lives in us, that lives in us, we can put to death all of that. And Christ was willing to give us the spirit so that we could put to death that sin because we're heirs. We are children of the king. So what would you say are some ways that we can seek the spirit's help? to put to death sinful desires and actions. And I would say, be specific. 
really think about it. How do we fight this enemy? Yeah, we need to know what God says, 100%. How else? We need to be honest. Right. Yeah. Yeah, if we can't be honest with ourselves. What else? Let's get one more. Prayer. And that's that's not just prayer alone. That's prayer with others. And that's being honest in our prayers. I mean, there, there is something to be said when you're praying and you say, God, I'm struggling versus God, I'm struggling with how to love my kid. I'm struggling with how to love my wife. I'm struggling with how to love this person who hates me. Just saying I'm struggling, that's, that's, a, that's a good start. But when you hear yourself confess what you're struggling with, the Spirit uses that to convict us. So what's our main idea? The sin that dwells within us and within others opposes our discipleship every step of the way. But by God's grace, we can overcome it. Knowing what we're up against is so important. We're up against our own sin. We're up against the sin of others. We're up against the spiritual force that the enemy is giving everything he can each and every day. But thank God that through his mercy and grace, he has given us what we need. And when we begin to list what the enemy has, lies, versus what we have, I was even, listen, we have the spirit as our helper who lives eternally within us. We have his word, which contains all of the truth that we could ever need. We have a direct line to God the Father himself through prayer. And he has given us his people to surround ourselves to help us in these battles. Those four things are things that no one else has. We as believers have exactly what we need and God has given it to us. The last thing is we need to remember that Christ has already defeated sin. He has already conquered. We know he's coming again to complete the process by developing and creating the new heavens, the new earth, where we will eternally live sin-free forever.
That's our motivation. So let our focus of the, the power and love of Christ be what we are rooted in, not lies that the enemy whispers in our ears. As we step up to fight, as we face these battles each and every day, we need to be reminding ourselves and we need to be reminding others and we need to allow others to remind us what we're here for. That's discipleship. Next week, Curdy will be wrapping up our Healthy Church series as we look the end of discipleship. <laughs> Have a great week, everyone.